Well, before I, before I say uh, children are dispensed back to Praise Factory, let me say this. Um, I was about ready to head to the airport. We were, um, we were at Supermax, is what it's called, in uh, Quito, in the mall. And uh, I said, oh, yeah, last year the tamarind lollipops were such a hit. I got to get more candy. And so uh, I did. I got more candy. And I was just like, I'll just pick up a couple bags. And we were rushing. And um, I, I unloaded and dumped it all into a bin. I bought like two, three pounds of candy home with me. I didn't even, wasn't even thinking about it. But after the service, uh, there will be uh, lollipops and some other things. You can come up to me and get some. Adults are included. There is like entirely too much candy. Um, but it's, it's just good. Uh, God, God was faithful during the trip. And I thought uh, everyone deserves something tangible because we all participate in this together. In any case, I'm going to read some scripture and uh, we're going to pray and then we're going to turn to God's word. But children are dismissed back to praise factory. Okay. Um, Tiff, you're going to switch me up? Yes, thank you. Our, our scripture for this morning is uh, going to be found in 2 Timothy. Thank you, sweetie. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and I'm going to read the first seven verses. So, am I on here? Okay, let's read. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Let's turn to the Lord and, and, and pray and ask him to bless our time. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here and to open your word. And I pray that as we discuss this morning and I share about what it was like to, uh, to be in, in Ecuador with my, my, my friend and a faithful missionary and uh, in the work that we did, I pray that you would encourage us from this text and that we would see, Lord, uh, something that I believe is just incredibly beautiful, that, that though the Bible is full of mysteries, that it is full of, of things that we need to study and wrestle with, and that we have to engage with our whole heart and whole mind and all of our being, we need to, we need to grab and take hold of the word. What you are calling us to do is incredibly simple. If we lean into it with faith. It is so simple, Lord, that at times we can look at what it is that we're doing and say, is anything happening? Am I accomplishing anything? And it can become very easy to look at ourselves and to say, what, what, what are we really doing? And yet when we look back or when we look at what is unfolding right in front of us, many times we are just deeply and profoundly amazed at the way that you work. We, being used by you, often don't feel like something is happening or that something amazing is taking place. But Lord, you are at work and you are the one who does it and you are the one who receives the glory. And so we pray, Lord, this morning as we talk about what's happening in Ecuador and we think about what's happening in our own lives and in our own church, Father, I pray that we would be encouraged. I pray that we would be thankful. And I pray, Lord, that we would have a, a, a deep sense of honor and gratitude for being included in what you're doing. We pray that you would help it to be so, Lord, that you might be glorified and that we might be encouraged. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there were some things uh, about Ecuador that were unexpected. I, I got on a plane uh, last 
Saturday, and um, it, it was not a long trip, but it was, you know, I had, I had two, I had a layover down in, uh, in, in Florida, and then uh, we got off of the, the plane and uh, met up with my friend Kevin. It's probably about midnight, you know, and so we are, uh, we're traveling out uh, from the airport, and we're staying in the city. We're going to find a, a place to stay. Uh, going to to our hotel, which was just basically a block room at a at a Bible college, um, nice room had a bathroom attached. I was I was pleased. But so we're out driving about in Quito at 1 a.m. in the morning, right? You know, and we get to the place where we're staying, and my buddy Kevin says to me, um, "I told the security guard that I would be back at 1:30, right? So we get there at 1:45. We we pull up to the front gate, which. Uh, looks like this, right? And we're there. It's this big wrought iron imposing gate that is closed, you know, and we pull up and like they do in Ecuador, you know, he just honks the horn. It's, it's 1.45 in the morning, you know, we're honking the horn and I'm like, uh, you know, people are going to be mad, but we're on, the, we're on like the side of a highway, you know, he just kind of pulls off right up to the gate, honk, 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 nothing, right? Honks the horn again, nothing. Gets out, goes over to this uh, to this glass and uh, metal door and knocks, nothing, right? Rings the bell, nothing. And he's like, this is, this is, this is what frustrates me. He's like, I said, I will be back at 1.30. He's supposed to be here. He's like, I don't know why. Sometimes people just, they just, they say yes to you and then they, they leave and they, and, they, and they don't show up. And so at this point I'm tired and I said, Kevin, he said, yeah, I said, I'm throwing you over the wall. <laughs> he said, what? I was like, I'm just, I'm going to do this. Like, all right, let's go. You know, you get, you step, and I'm tossing you over the wall. And he's like, really? I'm like, it's two o'clock in the morning, but You know, like, I don't know what's happening, but you're going inside, you're finding somebody, you're finding a switch, you're finding a wire, or I'm sleeping in your van. You know, like, you got to do something. So he's like, all right. You know, jumps over the wall, he's on the other side, he's making phone calls, he's calling people. Uh, and the, the director of the Bible college, uh, the, the facility, she finally comes out. Um, the security guard was supposed to open the door, but he calls her. She wakes up. She comes down. Uh, he tells me she had a baby like three days ago, right? And so she's out walking around at 2 a.m. in the morning, and uh, she walks over to the door, and she bangs on it. And the security guard comes out of the guard station. <laughs> he was in there the whole time. I have no idea what I was, what, what, no idea what he was doing, what was going on. Like, why don't you hear all this ruckus? We were pounding on the door. We were, because, you know, it's 2 a.m. We're, we're in missionary travel despair, you know. I just want to lay down and, 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 and get some sleep. And so uh, at, at 2 a.m. in the morning, here is Kevin's van. Uh, his, his very slow, uh, very inefficient, very, you know, you can hear the transmission everywhere he's going, van. And, uh, and we, we pulled in. Uh, part, of, part of these trips uh, that, that I've noticed is that there's an American desire for efficiency, right? You know, like we will go and we will accomplish this thing. We will, we will arrive at one in the morning at our hotel room and we will sleep and then we will get up and we will go to church, right? And it's like we check off all these boxes. We will, we will accomplish because we are here to do great things, right? We are sent by God. But here's what I believe uh, about, about this work. Many times the experience, or, or all the time, what happens to us, what we go through, what we struggle with or deal with is... A piece of the process. You know, as we seek to minister to others, we are tested. We are stretched. Uh, we experience uh, things in another culture that, that, that seem strange to us. And we have to remember, look, you know, the Lord is in control of what happens here. The Lord is in control of what he accomplishes. Um, God is the one who's doing this work. Things aren't necessarily happening on our schedule. This is, this is what we have to deal with when we're in Zambia and somebody's luggage doesn't show up. You know, and I say to them, right, like the packing list said, pack a change of clothes in your bag. Like you did that, right? You carried, oh, I didn't do that. You know, now you have no clothes for three days until your luggage gets here because it takes three days for the luggage to get there. 
those kinds of inefficiencies and, and struggles are part of the trip. They're part of being stretched. We have this illusion that we're in control of everything because everything runs on time, and every time we flip the electric switch, the light comes on. Uh, a, a good portion of the world does not live that way. And so um, that's, that, that was just one of those things. It was like, I always tell people, expect the unexpected on a missions trip. Like, just expect random things to happen. This, I was not expecting this. I was just expecting right to bed, you know. But here I am throwing my buddy over the wall at 2 o'clock in the morning. You know what else was weird? This is, we're going to, there's, we'll get to some, some deep stuff in just a minute. But there were dogs everywhere in Ecuador and in the United States. I was shocked. I, I left my car in long-term parking, and I went to check in, in, uh, in at, at BWI, and there was a dog, like, in a camo vest, you know, that said service dog on the side of it. And, and the young woman, she was not in the armed forces. This was, she was like a teenager with a cool dog vest for her dog, you know. Uh, and then I go through the security gate, and there are people in front of me and behind me with dogs. Right? And then I'm, I'm walking through looking for a place to eat. Bring hand sanitizer, folks. And there, there is, or Clorox wipes, they're, they're in, these, uh, in the restaurants that they have. Right? There's a, a couple, they're sitting there eating, and there's this little white dog like, sitting on the table as they're eating. Clorox wipes, okay? You heard it here. Bring them. Right? There were just dogs. I texted Nancy. I said, there are four dogs within 10 feet of me prior to uh, getting on the plane. Um, it's just strange. The world is changing. It's not always been like this. In, in Ecuador, dogs run free. And they're not like growly and strange. They just, they just walk up to you and they look at you and I think they're saying like, please, sir, more. <laughs> they, just, they just want something to eat. And we're, we're teaching with the doors open. You know, it's, it's uh, 11 in the morning. You know, the, the sun is up. It's starting to get a little hot. We're front doors of the church are open. We've got, we got guys in there listening and learning. And I'm, I'm talking, and a dog just like walks right in and wanders around, you know. And the pastor will be like, get out of here, you know. Um, more on dogs, right? Purple dogs. What is this, right? I'm asking, I keep asking people, why are the dogs purple? And they're like, you know, what is the American talking about? So finally, I saw this dog, and I walked right up to him. You know, and I got a picture of him, and then I went back to the church, and I was like, look, he's purple. And, and they, they say, oh, that's what they do. The dogs go out, and they fight, and they come home, and then they put the medicine on them. And everybody's got this purple stuff. It's so common, nobody even knew what I was talking about. But I saw they were all over the place, purple, purple dogs. Isn't that weird? Um, dietary differences. They sell meat right out of the back of the truck, right there. Um, so we went in to this restaurant to eat on Sunday morning, and uh, right, you know, when we woke up, we slept in that morning because uh, we were all just fried from travel, and, uh, and, and we went into the restaurant, and the lady was like, good morning, how are you, in Spanish, and asked, you know, what, what we wanted to eat, and I said, you know, does anything that you serve here come off of that Jeep out there? <laughs> and they said no, and so, uh, good food, right? Um, you, you, can, you can expect normal human food, eggs, right? Uh, got, some, got some protein there, plantains instead of uh, hash browns, not the same. It's not the same. They put cheese in the hash browns, though. They're good, I mean, in the, in the plantains. But it's not hash browns. It's, 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 it's not the same. But the food is simple. Uh, it, it, is, it is good. You get a little tired of the lack of variety after a while. But I think, again, that just exposes our American uh, prejudices. We, we live with such tremendous variety, and our entire society is designed to hand us pretty much whatever we want to eat, whenever we want to eat, wherever we are. It is amazing to me what is not available in stores. You go into a store and you say... Um, we, we were looking for cough syrup because both Kevin and I were getting sick. We don't sell cough syrup here. I'm looking around. I'm like, this is a food store. They have cough syrup everywhere in America. Nope, got to go to a pharmacy. Uh, and it took, it took quite a bit of time for the, the pharmacist to actually hand him uh, what, what he was after. Um, 
So you're gonna eat a lot of rice. That is a slice of avocado. It was enormous. It was like a size of a banana. Um, and the avocados, it, it's like you know eating a hundred avocados. They were just, it was like you know getting hit in the head with a giant avocado. It was so good. The food was great. It, it, it really was, and made with love. A huge majority of the world's coffee is made or grown in Ecuador. Uh, high-grade coffee, and what they do in Ecuador, uh, we went on a coffee tour, I'll show you about that in just a little minute, uh, and, and, and so um, what they do in Ecuador is they keep the majority of the beans that are low-grade, the, the worst of the beans, and they make them into instant coffee, right, where they, where they suck all the life and energy out of the coffee, and they, they put it into this crystalline form that dissolves in water. And that's what they drink in Ecuador, where they grow the world's best coffee. Why is this? I asked the lady who ran the coffee tour. And she said, she said we are lazy, and we want coffee now. <laughs> you know, she said, we don't, we, we don't want to wait for the best coffee in the world. We want coffee right now. And I was like, is that what everybody in Ecuador thinks? Um, no, what they, what they think when I asked them is that... Uh, they think that this is coffee. This is what good coffee is like. They don't have baristas, you know, like, and, and that kind of fancy stuff. That's like what rich people go to get in the mall when, when they've got excess income. Uh, they drink a lot of tea. Um, we, there's some really good, good stuff, right? There's this little, little selection of stuff there, and so I'm trying everything. I was like, this is cool. You know, I'm going to be... Uh, I'm going to be Mr. Cross-Cultural. I'm going to go to the supermarket. I'm going to buy tea. I'm going to bring it home. I bring it home. Uh, I put it out. Nancy made herself a cup of cinnamon tea, and she said, it doesn't taste like anything. <laughs> yeah, drink hot water. I, I tried it myself, and I was like, yeah, this really does taste like nothing. Um, I, was just, I don't know. I was amusing myself over in, in Ecuador. Um, let me, let, me, let me say two more things, and then, and then we'll talk about the cultural uh, and, and economic situation down there and, and what, they're, what they're ministering in the middle of. These are, um, they're, they're like a potato that is, it's, it's like potato starchy stuff with this amazing cheese in the middle, and they're fried really quickly, and um, they, they take them out, and they're just like, they're amazing. I mean, they're so good, and they give you two of them. And I asked, I said, how many is polite? And uh, the, my translator, Brian, he said, you could ask for another one. I said, how about two more? And he said, yeah, that's probably still polite. And uh, so four is still polite. And the ladies in the kitchen, I kept on hearing them say, once I, once I learned how to ask it in Spanish and then promptly forgot, they, they were saying over and over again was, he ate four. He had four. <laughs> Pastor Keith had four. So, and they were smiling while they said it. Now, if you grew up in the 80s, you remember this guy, right? Juan Valdez, he's there. He's, I, and, and nobody thinks anything of it. I'm like, this guy's a legend. He's like Santa Claus. Like, he, he appears in people's kitchens with a donkey and no one knows he's there. Juan Valdez, you know? And so I'm going into the Juan Valdez shop and I'm like, do you have like Juan Valdez hat, shirt, patch? poster, anything. Like, I need some Juan Valdez stuff. No, we just sell coffee here, right? That's it. I got, I got, I think I have four sugar packets that have his face on them, but I just it's like, you know, he's my he's my hero from the 80s. I love this guy. Um, he is, like, yeah, you, re- you also understand Juan Valdez never existed. He's not like a coffee revolutionary. He's a He's like the equivalent of Ronald McDonald. They just invented him to, rec- uh, to represent coffee. And then they were like, let's give him a donkey and make him appear places suddenly. And no one will ever be surprised that he's there. <coughs> the situation in Ecuador is uh, one of incredible stifling poverty. Um, the majority of the country, this is from the, the top of the church where we were ministering, uh, rainforest conditions enormous altitude changes and, and terrain changes, lots of hills everywhere. Um, so lots of, uh, lots of block buildings that just rise up out of nowhere. Not a lot of, um, there, there's not a lot of, of, of uh, room, I think, economically to focus on manicuring lawns or you know, really doing uh, what we would call curb appeal. You know, they just, they just kind of put it out there. 
Um, so this is a, a view of the place where we stayed, uh, Pablo Vincente uh, Mamadonaldo. This guy, by the way, is the guy who discovered the equator. We're in Ecuador where he discovered the equator. And so this city that is named after him is just this amazingly, for being named after the discoverer of the equator, it's just, it is, it is really a very uh, impoverished, small, right on the road kind of town. Uh, nothing, nothing amazing about it, nothing really um, to attract you or draw you there. It's just, it's where people live. They live there and they're born there and they stay there. Uh, and and a, an area where not very many people know the Lord uh, in, a, in a significant way. They don't understand the, the gospel. Many of them live in a, um, in a belief system where they believe that God is going to punish them and they need to protect themselves against God. They need to, to, to placate him and to uh, make sacrifices to him in, 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 a, in the, the Catholic sense and, and just appease God so that he doesn't ruin their lives. They, they, many of them live in fear. Um, so uh, this is a, a, a picture of Ecuador that my friend Kevin took that I think shows the, uh, shows the terrain, right? You have these vast, these are not hills, they call them hills, but they are, these, these are mountains to Americans, right? Um, there are vo active volcanoes around, um, and they just kind of build their cities in these places, right between the, the two mountains. And so when you're driving through Quito, it is, it is kind of astounding. If you get to the right place and you look around, Quito is everywhere around you, rising up around you. It's built on the sides of the hills. It's, it's very, it's kind of surreal. You know, you feel like you're, you're watching an HD movie, but it's your, your life. You know, it's, it's really happening there. The city is just everywhere around you. They've used up every available space to build. Uh, and very much, I think like the Eastern Shore, you can be in the middle of a city one minute, and two minutes later, you're out in the middle of the country. I'll show you a picture of that, right? All of a sudden, you're just out, and the clouds are right there. Certain places in Quito, Quito's at uh, 9,500 feet, um, where, where we are, were in PVM was about uh, 1,900 feet, so you know, significantly uh, closer to the ocean. There are places in Quito where when you're driving on the road, that's not fog, like that is a cloud crossing over the road. It's just, it's, you know, the cloud banks just move through. It's amazing. Uh, I would show you pictures of it, but it's just white. You know, that's, that's it. It's just, it, what does the inside of a cloud look like? It, it, it looks like a bad picture. Um, this is, a, uh, this is a, a very large graveyard built into the side of a hill. You can see the people uh, sitting down here, and they're spending time visiting, uh, bringing flowers, uh, offering prayers, to their deceased relatives. Uh, but these kinds of shrines are, are built uh, in, in many places. And, uh, and I think it shows, um, I think it shows one, there's a, a tremendous respect uh, for loved ones and for the dead, but there's also a, a very large uh, misunderstanding of, of the way the universe works according to the scriptures, the way that, the way that God works. They're, they're there to satisfy and appease their, uh, their ancestors. They're there to offer prayers for them, to release them from purgatory. Or, uh, they're there to, to ask their relatives to intercede on their behalf in the difficulties that they're having in this life. Uh, they, they don't know the truth of the gospel. They don't know that they can be at peace with God and that they can, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, that they can be cleansed from their sins, that they can possess Christ's righteousness. They're very, very focused on a, a world in which God is not necessarily for them. He could be against them at any moment. Um, it is, it's encouraging to me. And my friend Kevin um, grew up as a, uh, as a young adult. He grew up, he's originally from Trinidad, but grew up in North Jersey, where, where I'm from, where surrounded 
uh, by a largely Roman Catholic community, you know, that he is, is very much aware of these things culturally. And so when he goes down there into, into this culture to speak to them about the gospel, he's got a very strong sense of how it is that Americans who, who, who believe and think this way think. And so uh, it's not much of a what I would call a worldview issue for him. He already understands the way they think. He just needs to figure out how to say things in their language. Um, and, and, and so it, it really helps him as a, as a missionary. Uh, this is the, the town. Uh, I'm not clicking for some reason. Tiff, can you swap me over to my next one? Um, my battery indicator is blinking here. So, yes, this is PBM, uh, Main Street. You can see uh, a bit of the way that they operate. Most of these buildings were probably one floor block buildings, and the way that they operate down there in South America and Central America is you get a little bit of money, you work on expanding your home. You know, if you can't finish it off, you just leave the block walls and uh, you, you build up another level, you make some more money, you get yourself. Some, uh, some more rebar and some more concrete. You pour yourself another floor, and then you just keep building up. And so you can see the way some of these, these buildings are going. You can go to that one. That's fine. Uh, very much uh, this, this reminds me of, of uh, just, just the, the amount of um, financial wreckage that exists in that area. Somebody's home is destroyed by bad weather. Uh, no money to repair it. No money to fix it. And... Uh, Triple. Yeah, sorry. If I knew you were going to the store, I would have told you what to buy. Um, but so uh, you can go to the next one too, Tiff. That'd be great. Uh, you can also see here, this is a roof from another building. Uh, they've taken bamboo and, and built the posts and just moved this roof over and, and built themselves a shed here. Uh, in, in the middle of uh, tremendous poverty, there's an incredible amount of ingenuity. Uh, they don't just... Uh, collapse and give up. They try different. You know, they adapt and they uh, and they just they, they keep going. Uh, you can slip uh, step forward two slides. Um, it's important. Do we not have batteries? Switch, Switch the batteries. There's no triple A's. Let's see what we can do here. All right. Um, I check to make sure that the ooh um, fancy. Let's see. Um, what has been amazing to me while I was, uh, while I was sharing and teaching, uh, I feel like because I don't speak the language, I'm on the other side of a wall watching, you know? And, and, and there's a lot of time where either the translator's talking or my friend Kevin is speaking in Spanish, um, and he is, he is sharing... Uh, you very much just have time to think about, hey, what is going on here? Even though you can't necessarily understand all the words of, of, of what's going on. Uh, what, what was encouraging to me was that despite the, uh, the cultural circumstances that work against the church there, not a lot of money for equipment or supplies or buildings. Um, you know, uh, somebody had messaged me. And, and said, how's your trip? How you doing? And I said, I'm good. You know, I'm struggling with a little something. And they were like, well, get back to the hotel, you know, and get back into that air conditioning. You know, <laughs> there's no air conditioning. Like, I'll be back in air conditioning when I get to the airport. You know, there's no AC. Uh, despite that, many, many believers, they, they, they persist in embracing their calling and doing what God has called them to do. Uh, they, they work hard. We were able to stop and to visit uh, Pastor Victor. He's the host pastor. He does not live in the city PVM. He lives in a place called Mindo, which is about an hour away. And he manages to get the money together every single week to go and minister up where he has been called to pastor up in Mindo. Uh, but he owns this very small uh, compound in, in this place called Mindo on a road. Uh, over the years, he and his family have saved up the money. They put the extra uh, floors on their house. They ripped out the first floor of their house, and they built this coffee tour shop, right? Because this is what I've found down there. People do anything and everything they can to survive. 
you know, to, to, to make ends meet. And uh, so it may be a week or two before somebody comes through, but they are, they are there and they are ready when the Americans show up uh, or the Europeans show up because Mindo is a fancy and beautiful town. You can go uh, climb up a mountain and you can zip line across the Ecuadorian countryside and you know, take in the beauty of the rainforest at what, 45 miles an hour, hanging on a wire, um, which I did not do because Nancy has told me if you zip line out of the country, you will never go anywhere ever again. Uh, <laughs> I am not raising these children by myself. Um, so I, I respect that. Uh, I do. Um, so, so they've built this, this industry of, of, of doing these coffee tours by the side of the road. Uh, here's a picture of me pounding coffee beans. This is the way they used to do it. They don't do it this way. They have a machine now. You just dump the coffee beans in and it spits out uh, shaved coffee beans. But uh, here's my translator, Brian, and I looking at, uh, looking at these coffee plants. And it's, it's nice. What they do is she, the, the pastor's daughter walks you through... Here's the bean. Here's how we harvest it, you know. And then here's how we pound the, you know, get the, the extra skin off. And then here's how we roast it. Here's how we uh, get the kernel. So here I am fanning, you know. This is the way they used to do it. After they pounded it, they would they would make the the skin go away with this fan. And they don't do this anymore. They use a rotating blowing machine or whatever. And then I had to grind grind the coffee. And I'm sitting there running this thing and I keep saying to the guys like it's a coffee tour man hands on come on jump in here and everybody's like no keep grinding the coffee go for it so um, amazing little cup of coffee there fantastic Um, this is me roasting coffee this is Pastor Victor our our host pastor who uh, yes I do look sad my wife said you look like you're in pain I am in pain about this time sinus headache could hardly talk um, and and I, was, I wasn't able to do my last session on Friday because I just I had no voice left whatsoever. Um, but Pastor Victor told us uh, about the story about how um, he came to the Lord and he struggled because his father's strong beliefs were that that he had he had gone astray, uh, that he had that he had departed from the faith. And he proceeded to tell us about how when he heard the truth about Jesus, when he heard that God loved him despite his sinfulness, that the Lord called him to himself, that the Lord gave him complete and total forgiveness of sins, he he said, how could I ever go back? How could I ever turn back? And he felt the Lord calling him into ministry, but he was... He was working in this place called Mindo, where, by the way, they used to give them some food and some housing and not pay them any wages, uh, which we have a word for that. That's called slavery, right? And that, that is a, a condition that uh, exists in a lot of places in the world to this day. But in, in Mindo, you know, the, the local government eventually organized and they demanded that wages be paid, and that's the situation in most places in Ecuador. Um, earning money took up his focus, but he heard the Lord calling him, uh, caring for his wife. He has 10 children, uh, also consumed his time, but he heard the Lord calling him. Uh, he loved and desired to honor his father. And he knew that the Lord was calling him to a place. The Baptist convention in Ecuador kept on saying, we need you to start a work in, in PVM. We need you. And uh, about 10 years ago, uh, I believe it was about 10 years ago, he said his, his father woke up in the morning and said, I don't feel very well. And he put him in a car and, and drove him to, uh, to, to Quito and took him to the hospital. And as he was sitting there talking, he said, I knew, I knew that the Lord was going to take my father away from me. I just knew that it was his time. And so he said he shared the gospel with him. And, and he prayed with him, but he knew that he was being called to minister and to pastor and to do the work of a gospel preacher. That This is what he was called to do, but he felt his relationship with his father was holding him back. Uh, this is not a lesson that I would feel comfortable telling somebody when they're talking about 
you know, the difficulty, the physical difficulty that's come into their lives and into their, you know, try to be very sensitive to that sort of thing. You know, not interpret, hey, this is why this happened. But this is what he is saying. He said he felt that he'd been disobedient for so long and that the Lord was good to him. That the Lord was kind and spared him and didn't discipline him, but eventually said it's time and took his father away uh, so that he could do the work that he was called to. Um, Powerful stuff. He doesn't have a car. He finds a ride every week and rides an hour or two uphill, downhill, you know, the, the terrain so that he can get to the place where he believes that the Lord has called him to minister. And though it is, it is financially expensive and it's difficult and he's far away and the ministry has been tough on him and his family, uh, he is sticking to it because he said, somebody shared the gospel with me. Somebody proclaimed the word. I heard it. I believed it. That has changed my life. How could I not do the same? That... When, I, when here I am on the outside, right? I'm listening to all this in translation and just offering brief comments and, and, and observations on it. Uh, that to me is incredibly simple and profound. That is the ministry and the mission that we are called to. Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. We've been given an amazing message. We have been given this amazing truth that the world around us and all of its religions, I mean, this is everything, folks. If you look at every single religion out there, and I think it's only after Christianity began to spread that people invented these feel-good, new-agey kind of, like, let's... Let's invent it ourselves, religions. Prior to that, everything is God is angry. He is going to destroy you. And here's how you appease him, right? Here's how you serve God so that he doesn't light you up, you know? Here's so that he doesn't curse you. Christianity comes along with this amazing claim that we can do nothing and that God is loving and humble and will serve and care for us. That is amazing. Having heard this truth, having known it and believed it and loved it, how can we then not turn and love others? Uh, Pastor Victor's family has built... Uh, oh, this is my house, by the way. Uh, this is right outside PBM. Generally, when I travel, I'll find, like, this dumpy, random place, you know, and I'll take a picture of it, and I send a picture to Nancy. I say, this is where we're going to live when we move to this country, right? This is my, my PBM Ecuador house, um, which is amazing because I keep asking people, what is that? And they're like, oh, it's just a, a stupid thing, right? Let me show you this picture. This is what Pastor Victor's family owns. Uh, they own the property. They don't stay in this place. These are, like, $150, $200 a night tourist places. They manage this compound, but they don't live like that. They live in block walls. They live in poverty, waiting for Americans to come and to stay and to, to take hold and use the services, and then they live on that money. But there it is. Look at it. It's, it's like a hobbit house, right? <laughs> Last year when I went, I took this picture of this place, and I was like, I love that place, and there it is. I mean, that's, that's it. And, and I'll tell you, I've got pictures. I'll post them on Facebook. It's just an amazing place. We, um, we got to the, uh, am I controlling it or are you? A little bit of both, okay. Uh, we, got to the, we got to the church at night and they showed us uh, the work that they had done. And so this is about the level of detail. I'm like walking around, you know, with my, with my flashlight phone function looking. Um, but they've done all the work themselves. Uh, poured all the concrete and, uh, and, and they are just expanding their church because they believe that the Lord is calling them to a, an amazing ministry of, of training and of developing. So here is the church. Um, we meet over here on the left. That's our classroom. And then over on the right is where the kitchen and 
children's ministry area is, which is basically like a big open room full of tables where people eat. The kitchen's there. They're, they're putting a, an apartment on the second floor so that when the pastor comes, he can stay over. He doesn't have to stay in a congregation member's house. They're putting uh, apartments up there so that when people come to be trained, that they can stay. And they're building a third and fourth floor. And uh, it, is, it is just amazing to see. They've done all this in a, in a year. The last year when I went, the, uh, the kitchen was there and nothing else. And now they put these extra two layers on in, in just a single year. How, how are you doing this? How are you paying for it? American missionaries you know, or churches giving money? Nope, we're just we're doing it as we can. People give a little bit of money. We buy some more supplies and, and we do some more work. And they're just slowly staying at it. Why? Because they believe that they're called to something. They believe that they're called. I had the honor of teaching Bible interpretation to them. <coughs> this was a, a, a realization. Um, if you know what the prosperity gospel is, it's very much alive here in the United States. The idea that um, God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to have everything you want. And if you just have enough faith, or if you just know the formula, you'll get it. Right? It's also marketed um, in the New Age movement as uh, the secret or the, the law of attraction, right? Like that if you believe good things, good things will come to you. They just take Jesus and Christianity and they mash the two of them together. And th- this is all over the place in the world. It started here in the United States with a lot of prosperity preachers, but it has been embraced throughout the world by people in poverty because they are desperate and want some way out And so a number of pastors in the cities in Zambia and in the cities in Ecuador, they have large churches, enormous followings of people who are coming and who are sowing seeds of faith and, and giving to their church because their pastor is saying, if you will take a risk, if you will give, you know, if you will, will step out in faith, then God will bless you. And this is, it's, it's all over the world. But let me tell you what I realized teaching uh, these guys. A lot of these guys are attracted to that kind of teaching. They, they, they hear it, and it makes a certain amount of sense to them based on the, on the scriptures that they've been shown. And so uh, many, many uh, American theologians, I think, would move them into the camp of the enemy, you know, not teaching or preaching the true gospel. That, that God isn't necessarily uh, there to just give you stuff, you know, that, that, that the gospel is we put our faith and trust in Christ and he gives us forgiveness and righteousness. And then we say, here is my life. Do with me what you will. That's, that's what the scriptures teach. Not trust in God and he will give you uh, every single last desire of your heart. He'll, he'll give you a, a mansion and a, you know, and a beach house. And that's, that's not what the scriptures promise. But many people believe or are attracted to this because they've never been taught anything different. They've never been taught anything different. And in a a, a place where there's enormous poverty, none of these guys can ever make it to the United States to go to Bible college. The bandwidth on their their mobile devices is low enough that they can't tune in to uh, a lot of the free seminary stuff that's available. You know, they can't, they don't have access to good teaching. They can't go to conferences. No one knows that they even exist. They're in incredible poverty. What, what, what is amazing and such an incredible honor to me is that my friend Kevin, who's fallen in love with these people and he's traveling around the country, his, his training program is nine modules long, right? You know, he goes and, uh, and he shows up and he, in nine installments of a week long, he walks them through an entire pastoral training program and they love it. I love it. So I'm able to teach them uh, Bible interpretation. Here's me. Uh, here's me talking uh, over there. That's me on the left, if you recognize me. Uh, and then uh, this is Brian, who is uh, our translator. Um, and another profound realization for me there, you know, you, you, you head overseas. I'm going to do something. I'm going to accomplish something. In Zambia, where you speak English, the, the and they speak English, the students say, oh, you know, this teaching's wonderful, you know, and you're like, yes, you guys, go, go do the work, be faithful. 
And, and you can still really retain a sense of, I'm accomplishing this. You know, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm the gifted teacher, right? But humil- embrace humility, you know? Like, don't, don't think of yourself superior. And I've gone through a bunch of that as I've, as I've taught. In Ecuador, this guy right here is the most important guy. He's the most important guy. This guy, like, he matches the ups, the downs. I tell parables. You know, I'm talking about the parable of the sower and how the, 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 uh, the thorns and, and the thistles come up and they choke the vine. I'm like, it chokes the vine. You know, he does it. He, he imitates it exactly. You know, that's amazing. He is, he is doing the work and doing the translation. Um, he's essential to, to making this ministry work and he bridges the gap and I was sharing this with him talking with him about it saying you know like you you in some sense Kevin speaks Spanish not the greatest Spanish he's still learning and you you're fluent you know all these theological words you understand the the terminology and the things that they need to be taught I said and then the Americans come and make it possible to do all the teaching I said you're the guy man you are the linchpin and he said no one's ever said that to me so they just, they tell me that I charge too much. <laughs> you know what he got paid? I showed up, I gave him $200 cash for five days of translation. 200 bucks. Yeah. I said, you need a reference letter or an endorsement or somebody to argue for you? You, you tell me what you need to make. 300 bucks? 400 bucks? You know where the money to pay him came from? You guys put it up when you paid the trip tuition so I could go. Like, we can, we can adjust how much this guy gets paid. You know, it, it's possible. The laborer, the scripture says, is worth his wage. And here's a young man who takes time out of, he's, he's running a, a photography career. Uh, he does some web design, and he travels to PVM, where the Wi-Fi connection is horrible, right? You know, hey, can you reset the Wi-Fi? They're like, ah, oh, sometimes the signal just goes off. I'm like, just reset it. Like, turn it off, turn it back on again. You know, computer maintenance 101. Like, maybe it'll come back. And they're like, ah, maybe it'll come back in a little while. It doesn't work like that. Like, reset it, please. You know, I'm an American. You know, I need Wi-Fi like I need oxygen. Hook me back up. You know, and here he is. He's out there with, with lame Wi-Fi and can't work. And he's being told uh, by some people that he charges too much for translation. Um, an amazing and encouraging thing to teach these brothers and sisters is that everything that they're doing from first to last is working hand in hand with the Lord trying to bring about faith in the hearts and minds of people. Right? They're called to observe the text. Right? This is step number one. I'll give you the overview outline of Bible Interpretation 101 as, as it was taught. They're told to observe the text, ask tons of questions, and we spent an entire day, I got to teach on kinds of questions to ask, ways to analyze the text. Observe. Why? Because what they need to do is they need to look at this book that God has entrusted to us, his very word, and they need to say, this is what I'm called to believe. This right here. What in the world does this say? So step one in Bible interpretation is observe with faith. Right? Second, they're called to interpret the Bible. And so they say, what does this mean? What, is, what does the text mean? What are the implications of it? And I, I use the analogy of a, of a ladder that, that scaled the wall that they can't get over themselves. They have to climb to the top of the ladder and they need to go into the ancient world and find the meaning and, and, and remove the cultural stuff and the language stuff. And they need to say, what is this saying? And they need to climb back up the ladder with the meaning, and then they need to bring it back in their world and interpret it to the people. Why? Because once we read and we know that what the scripture says, we have to say, do we actually believe that this is true? Do we believe that it's true? Do we believe that what we're reading here is true? Because the scripture, we can know it. We can know that we're not supposed to be afraid, or that we're not supposed to love money, you know, that we're we're, that, that he'll never leave us or forsake us. We can know, I spent a bit of time building up 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that says, there's no temptation that overcomes you. you know, God will always make a way of escape. You can know that, but do you believe it? Do you believe that that's true? So observe, interpret, 
both steps that are built by, on faith. And then apply. Make an action plan. When you preach, don't just say, believe more. Say, here's how you can put this into practice. And we talked about what, what it means, many applications with just a single meaning. The Bible means one thing. Does it mean something to you? You know, you, you draw the meaning out. You don't bring the meaning to it. Many of the pastors, what they do is they say, this Sunday I want to talk about this. And then they go and shop for a text, right? That is going to help them say what they want to say. Or they just say what they want to say. And then uh, while they're speaking, they just kind of throw Bible verses in there to try to make it look like what they're saying is biblical. Why do they do this? They don't know any better. It's what they've seen. It's what they've been taught. But now you ask people after you've looked at the text and said, this is what we believe. And then you've said, do I actually believe this? And you interpret it. Then you apply it and you act in faith. You say, I believe what the scripture says. And here's how I'm going to work it out in my life. And we got real complicated. You know, I, drew, I had my translator write out all the different uh, ways in which applications can work in your relationships and all the different kinds of uh, types of principles. Um, that, was, that was fun, you know, walking through it. And I'm trying to say the word in Spanish, and they're all laughing at me. Like I'm a four-year-old learning how to talk, you know. Um, when do kids learn to talk? Yeah, yeah, earlier, yeah. Anyway, so they're laughing at me. Oh, look, there's my, there's my wall. I think I have it here. Um, there it is. Climb the wall, get the meaning, you know, come back. Um, and uh, so a bulk of the time... Uh, near, the, near the end of the week, I was just kind of sitting, hanging back, waiting to be asked questions by groups. Because here they are at the table doing something that they've never been trained to do ever before. And that's to actually sit there and look at the word and say, what do we see? What does it mean? How do we make an action plan? That's profound stuff to me. Here's another one. This guy here, Mr. Smiley, speaks fluent English, right? Runs a university. Has never been trained in Bible interpretation. And so, um, this young lady here was so nervous when she got up to give her report that she started crying. Um, she, she, she couldn't get the words out as she was trying to explain what was going on um, in, in her observation of the text. And, uh, and, and, you know, my buddy Kevin was like, you're going to be all right. You know, just keep going. You're, you're, you're fine. And then she got on a roll. You know, and by the end, she was on a tear. I mean, she was just laying it out. And this is what the scripture says, and this is how we apply it. It was encouraging. Did I understand a word of what she was saying? No, but I asked Kevin. I said, did she do good? And he said, yeah, she did great. You know, she, she knew. Um, their ministry, the people that they will minister to, are, their lives are going to be changed because they're going to do something very simple. And that's this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says, the things that you've heard from me, Timothy. I, Paul, tell you, Timothy, things. You've heard these in the presence of many witnesses. Teach them to faithful people. And trust them to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. I was talking to the, uh, to the group. Here's Kevin teaching. Um, and and he's, he, last year when we went, he was struggling with his Spanish uh, this year, you can tell, a lot more comfortable, a lot more words. He's asking the translator less, like, what's this word, what's this word? He's just on a roll, very animated. Um, not only does he have the knowledge to teach, uh, here he is in the, in the kitchen with the kitchen ladies. These people, they love him, and he loves them, and they know it. The pastors know that Kevin loves them, and that is uh, is, is super important. He's not just showing up. He says sometimes the, you know, an American will show up and they'll teach and they won't talk to the people. And the people are like, what's up with that guy? He doesn't treat us like you treat us. When people know that they're loved, they jump in to your ministry. Here's a group of all of us. Yes, I am sick in this picture. I look sick. I'm pale. I wore my Superman shirt because they were calling me Clark Kent all week. Um, and so it, it occurred to me, I already talked about Brian, um, it occurred to me while I was teaching at one point, I was, I was telling the guys, look, you know, we were talking about the parable of the sower. And I was saying the seed that the sower goes out to sow in four different kinds of soil, the seed is good. It's the soil that it lands on that determines the difference, that determines what happens. 
The important thing for you guys as pastors is just to make sure that you are proclaiming the word over and over and over, that you're sharing it, and that you entrust the next generation of ministry to people who are going to be faithful. I told him the story about how Kevin, it's probably 2003, showed up at our church, just walked in and said to me, you know, a couple weeks after he'd been attending the church, that he wanted to help out with youth group. I was a youth pastor at that time. My pastor showed me a list of names, and he said, there's six people here. You're going to disciple three of them, and I'm going to disciple three. Pick who you want. I like, I'll take Kevin. He's in the youth ministry. He comes to me, and he says, I'm interested in this girl who's volunteering, right? Margie, who he marries. He tells me, I think the Lord's calling me to minister, you know? And I'm like, okay, you know, let's, let's get you preaching. He's telling them the story. Uh, encouraging them, like, you may get it wrong. And he's saying, I went to Pastor Keith because I was supposed to teach for the first time. And I come to him and I said, this is what I think the, the passage should be. This is the interpretation. And he's like, and Pastor Keith put his finger on the paper and said, no, 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 no. And he's telling them, like, you're going to get it wrong, but you're eventually going to start getting it right. You know, and just trying to encourage them. I was like, man, you made me sound all terrible there, Kevin. <laughs> But here's, here's what occurred to me. Kevin, he just always took the next right step in life. And he, he struggles. He struggles with loneliness and isolation. You know, he's, he's one of very few Americans trying to get the work done down there. Uh, and he struggles with that. But this is, this is what was amazing to me. Uh, there was a long line of faithful people who cared for me at First Baptist Church Union. And I had an excellent mentor who told me, no. No, 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 and corrected me. And I said it to Kevin. And I told those guys, I said, here you are, you're going to go out and you're going to preach to all these people. You know who gets credit for that? The Lord, of course, because he's the one who's doing the work. The Lord gets credit. I said, but you know what? I have a stake in your ministry. You're out there ministering to people because Kevin's trained you. And I was involved in his life. And I look at the way that you love him and you care for him and the way that you're learning from him. And I look at my ministry and I say, God is doing something completely and utterly unexpected. I didn't ever think this was going to happen. When I met Kevin, when he was what we called the human toy back in, like my kids would jump on him and like, you know, he'll tell me occasionally, like, I got to go see a chiropractor. And I'm like, that's my kids. I'm sorry. You know, um, they loved him. Never in it, never did I ever think that he was going to be an Ecuador training pastors? But you know who knew? The Lord knew. How did he get there? Faithfulness. That's it. Someone's faithful to preach the word. Someone's faithful to teach the true meaning of scripture. Somebody's faithful to believe it and act on it. That's it. That's it. As we look at our ministry here, folks, and I'm, I'm, I'm closing down. We're going to pray. Band's going to come. You guys can come now. It's all right. Band, you want to come? Um, we look at our ministry, we think, oh, you know, parking and painting and seats and, you know, space and future buildings and all that stuff. Like, yes, these things are important. We ought to pay attention to the details. But the main thing, guys, is ultra simple. It is ultra simple. If we're faithful, we look at the word and we say, that's the truth. And we proclaim that. And then we act on it and live it out. We trust God with what he's going to do with it. And amazing things happen. I, I, I was... I couldn't talk when I... I, I, was, I was standing there teaching them and sharing with them about the effect of their ministry. And it suddenly occurred to me, Mike ministered and mentored to me. I mentored Kevin. And he's mentoring all these people. And, and he's, he's got like six or seven sites like this running. Um, where he's, you know, every other week he's going and he's doing a training. I just thought, I, you know, the Lord did this and none of us ever predicted it. He's amazing. So my encouragement to you is just to be faithful, to believe the word, to apply it to yourself, to, to live it out and to share it. Because you don't know what God's going to do through you. And you're going to look back and you're going to say, it didn't feel like that while it was happening. But you're going to be amazed at what he does. And he's going to get all the glory. And we get to share in the joy. Let's pray and then stand and close with a song.
Father, thank you for your grace and your care for us. We thank you that you've given us the word and you have said that you will be with us. You've told us to go and to make disciples. And we are called to just take this truth that we believe, this amazing, profound truth about who Jesus is and what he accomplishes and to share it and to entrust it to others as we, as we guard it and keep it from getting ruined by our thinking. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to be faithful to share so that others will believe. And having believed, they will then continue to pass the faith on. Lord, we pray that you would sustain us in frustrating times where it doesn't seem like much is happening. That's the way plants work. Seeds underground, they lay there for a long time and it seems like nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden, amazing growth. So we pray that we would be able to trust you, to depend on you, to rely on your power as we seek to be faithful in the places that you've put us, Lord, in our friend group, in our workplace, in our church. May we just seek to be faithful and to take the next step in obedience to your word. We'll give you all the praise and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand sing this closing song together. I just want to say, too, thank you for the opportunity to go and to minister. Thank you.